Hey, it's Nadia Raymond. When I'm not producing for StoryCorps or picking out music for Latino USA as their music consultant, I love listening to Alt Latino, and I think you would too. It's a weekly dive into the world of Latin alternative music and culture, featuring sounds like psychedelic tropical music from Peru. Hear tunes that challenge what Latino music sounds like. Check out Alt Latino from NPR Music at npr.org slash podcasts and on the NPR One app. Hey, everybody. This is Michael Garofalo for the StoryCorps podcast. And this week, we're doing something a little bit different. I'm going to pass the mic over to two of our producers, Nadia Raymond and Von Diaz. They work on our Out Loud initiative, which is collecting the stories of the LGBTQ community across the country. Hey, guys. Hello. Hey, Michael. So we're sitting here recording this podcast right before National Coming Out Day, which is sort of a day to celebrate people coming out. It started in the 1980s. But coming out isn't just, you know, walking up to your friends and family and saying, hey, I'm gay. Absolutely. I mean, it's a much bigger deal than that for a lot of people. It can change your life forever. People can lose their jobs, can lose loved ones. And for some people, it's not the right decision. So today we're going to bring you three stories about what happens in your life when you make the decision to come out or not. To kick things off, we have a podcast exclusive. You're going to hear something that has never been on the airwaves, the podcast waves, never been on any type of waves. We recorded this in rural Michigan. We're going to hear from Corey Nichols, who's 21 years old. He came to StoryCorps with his adoptive mom, Mindy Forsyth. They met when he was in high school, and he became really good friends with her daughter. At the time, Corey, like a lot of other 15-year-old kids, was starting to really struggle with his identity. And as you're about to hear, his home was not the safest place to come out. There was a political debate on the TV about homosexuality. And my father said if any of his kids were gay, he'd shoot them in the head with a shotgun himself. You were someone my daughter knew. And I heard about things that were happening and abuse you were suffering, and I was so worried about you. I think the turning point, though, was the day that you came out to your family. That night, I finally said, you know, Mom, I'm gay. And whatever you do, just don't tell my dad. But then I left the room. You hear a door slam. My dad said, there's a faggot living in the house. I locked myself into the bathroom until everybody went to bed. And you called me, and I came to get you. And I said, you know what? You're going to come and live with us. But at that point, it was still in my head that I was going to go back. You stayed till December, and that's when we got that email from your biological family saying, if you didn't come home, they were going to report you as a runaway, and they were going to report me for kidnapping. And I remember you grabbed my hand, and you said, I don't want to go back there. And I think I called a lawyer within 10 minutes. (laughs) So we went to court. Mm -hmm. And by the time it was our turn, I had had four hours to watch that courtroom door and wait for your family to come in. And they didn't. And then the judge called us up. It was seriously not even a minute and she hit the gavel. And I have never been more relieved a day in my life than the second she said, you have full legal guardianship of this child. If you were to see my family today, what would you say to them? You know, I don't have a lot to say to them. They failed you. But I don't know that I need to say that to them. 
Instead, I think I would tell them about all of the great things that you are, because they missed out. They gave up a beautiful, beautiful person. Honestly, there are no words. And I thank you for everything that you've done. You are worth anything that we ever had to go through. People often say that you gained so much, but they forget that we gained so much. That's Corey Nichols with his mom, Mindy Forsyth. So tell me a little bit more about where the Forsyths live. They live just outside of Flint, Michigan, in Holly, which is a small town. And like any other small town, everybody knows everybody. Everybody goes to the same high school. People shop at the same grocery stores. They root at the same football games. And that made it really tough for their whole family. In what way? Well, Corey's adoptive sister, Audrey, really got bullied in school because her family took him in. Actually, Corey did a separate interview with Aubrey to find out what it was like for her. How did other people treat you at school? It was a nightmare for me. We went to school with your cousin, who was the same grade as us, who was a really good friend of mine freshman year. And then when you came to live with us, would push me in the hallway and throw my books I was in my Spanish class, which was right around the corner from my locker. And her crew had lined themselves up from my class to my locker. And every single one that I passed had a different word for me. It was slut or bitch. And then when I would gotten my locker, they had just scribbled the same words on my locker. And you were naive to it. I remember being really mad at you because you didn't see it. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm kind of angry at myself because I didn't see it. If it wasn't for you, I wouldn't be here. In my eyes, you come before anyone. Did you ever wish you had never adopted me? No, I got another brother and a best friend. And I was never, ever embarrassed of you living with us or our choices. So I don't regret it at all. That's Aubrey Forsyth talking with her brother, Corey. So what's Aubrey and Corey's relationship like today? They are inseparable. They are absolutely best friends. Today, they're both going to the same college. And their first year there, they lived on the same dorm floor. And they told me during this interview that they actually knew the exact number of steps between each other's doors. You know, even though things have changed for LGBTQ folks, Corey's story is really a reminder that things are still tough. Yeah. And if you think things were tough for Corey coming out, imagine what it was like for people before the LGBTQ rights movement. Yeah. So the next story we're going to hear is from the South, and it's from 75-year-old Glenda Elliott. She grew up in Mayfield, Georgia, and she first fell in love with a woman when she was in her 20s. So that is over 50 years ago. She sat down with a friend to tell the story of this lifelong love that never had the chance to blossom. Laurie knew how to tease me without my being offended. And there was something about the way she would smile that, you know, I can still see very vividly. 
she was the first person I really, truly loved. But I grew up in the 40s in a small rural community. There were certainly no role models of what it means to love someone of the same sex. So I didn't know how to understand that. My high school sweetheart, he proposed to me. And I thought at that time, that's what a woman did. She got married. And it didn't take me very long to realize that I'd made a mistake. So he and I decided to get a divorce. During all of this time, Laurie and I had stayed in touch. I knew that I loved her deeply. She said, well, I have very strong feelings for you, too. But most of all, I want to have children. She met a man who had asked her to marry him. Then she got pregnant, and she said, if it's a little girl, I'm going to name her after you. Well, it turned out it was a little boy, and I was relieved. It really would have been excruciatingly painful if she had had a little girl named after me. Somewhere along the way, she said, if I outlive my husband and you don't have a partner, perhaps we can grow old together. And somehow that made it all right. But then Laurie got cancer, and she didn't live very long, and I did not get to see her again. It didn't hit me so much until I turned 60. And I began to really think about old age. And this was a time that Laurie and I were going to have. And it didn't happen. There are certain kinds of love that never die. But I don't regret at all our time together. It is where I learned that I could love. And I could be loved in that complete sense of the word. That's Glenda Elliott remembering the love of her life, Lori. And you know, the reason why we don't use Lori's last name anywhere in this is because Lori was actually not out to her family. I can't help but wonder how their lives might have been different if they were Corey's age. What also strikes me is both of these stories are from rural areas, and we don't hear stories from these communities that often. Yeah, and the next one we're going to hear is also from a rural area, but it has a very different ending. You may have heard this before on the podcast, but we're really excited to announce that we've turned it into an animation, so we're going to revisit it today. We're going to hear from Pat Haggerty. He grew up in a small farming town in rural Washington in the 1950s. The town was called Dry Creek. And as a kid, Pat started to understand that he was gay when his dad decided to have a serious talk with him. I'm riding to school with my oldest brother, and on the way to school, I'm putting glitter all over my face. And my brother said, what in the hell are you doing? I said, I'm putting on my costume. He said, well, I wouldn't be caught dead wearing that. So he dropped me off at the school, and he called my dad up. And he said, Dad, I think you better get up there. This is not going to look good. 
So my dad drove up to the high school, and he had his farmer jeans on, and they had cow crap on him, and he had his clodhopper boots on. And when I saw him coming, I ducked around the hall and hid from him. And it wasn't because of what I was wearing. <laughs> it was because of what he was wearing. So the assembly goes well, and I climb in the car, and I'm riding home with my father. And my father says to me, uh, I was walking down the hall this morning, and I saw a kid that looked a lot like you ducking around the hall to avoid his dad, but I know it wasn't you because you would never do that to your dad. And I squirmed in my seat, and I finally busted out, and I said, Well, Dad, did you have to wear your cow crap jeans to my assembly? <laughs> and he said, Look, everybody knows I'm a dairy farmer. This is who I am. And he looked me square in the eye. And then he said, Now, how about you? When you're a full-grown man, who are you going to go out with at night? And I said, I don't know. And he said, I think you do know. And it's not going to be that McLaughlin girl that's been making goo-goo eyes at you, but you won't even pick up the damn telephone. And I'm going to tell you something today, and you might not know what to think of it now, but you're going to remember when you're an adult, don't sneak. Because if you sneak like you did today, it means you think you're doing the wrong thing. And if you run around and spend in your whole life thinking that you're doing the wrong thing, then you'll ruin your immortal soul. And out of all the things a father in 1959 could have told his gay son, my father tells me to be proud of myself and not sneak. My reaction at the time was to get out in the hayfield and pretend like I was as much of a man as I could be. And I remember flipping 50-pound bales three feet up into the air going, I'm not a queer. What's he talking about? <laughs> but he knew where I was headed. And he, he knew that making me feel bad about it in any way was the wrong thing to do. I had the patron saint of dads for sissies and no I didn't know it at the time but I know it now that's Pat Haggerty talking to his daughter Robin the animation is called The Saint of Dry Creek and we're really excited for you guys to see it it'll be available on Monday October 12th and you can check it out at storycore.org and you can also see Pat as a cartoon with lots of glitter so one of the things that we do when we turn one of our stories into an animation is we send one of our animators to meet with the participants to check out where the story took place and get a visual sense of what the story could look like. Our animator, Gina, went out west to meet with Pat and to check out Dry Creek for herself. And recently, Pat was in New York. So we invited him to come into our very own podcast studio and talk about what it was like to be turned into a cartoon. She got me good, especially the part where I said, I'm putting on my costume. And she went over the accuracy of the story. What kind of car was your brother driving you to school in? What did the high school look like? I took her up to the high school. She even wanted to know the, you know, the girl who was trying to call me on the telephone. The McLaughlin girl. The McLaughlin girl. Uh -huh. She called me up afterwards and said, what did she look like? Who has their dead father honored 55 years after he died? Who gets that? You know, during our conversation, I was really curious about whether or not Pat had actually officially come out to his dad. So I asked him about that, and here's what he had to say. We had 
a conversation at the dinner table, an open conversation with everybody in the family. My dad says, you're going from the country school into the junior high school where there's a whole lot of kids that you don't know. And you're little and you're kind of a sissy. He said that to you? Yeah. Oh, the fact that I was a sissy was openly discussed information all the time at the farm. It was an acknowledged fact that I was, and it was my right to be so. Everybody in the family knew that. But came from a Catholic family, and things of a direct sexual nature were not really discussable. So we called it sissy, and it wasn't about sex. It was about acting like a girl. So we never got that far. But he was certainly talking about sex when he told me not to sneak. That's as direct as they ever got. To see Pat, to see his dad, and yes, even the McLaughlin girl, check out our latest animation, The Saint of Dry Creek, at storycore.org. So Vaughn, as you keep on looking for stories from the LGBTQ community, what are some things that you're looking for? Well, a couple of the stories from this podcast come from folks who lived before the Stonewall Uprising of 1969, which launched the modern gay rights movement. And that's a generation of people we really want to record before it's too late. So if any of our listeners know someone they maybe want to interview, how can they get a hold of you? Y'all can contact us at characters at storycore.org. Write to us. Let us know who you want to hear from. Thank you so much for being here, Vaughn. Thanks, Nadia. Before we go, one more thing. Thanksgiving weekend is coming up, and we're trying something new and kind of ambitious. We're trying to record an entire generation of people over one single holiday weekend. We're calling this The Great Thanksgiving Listen. And to find out more about this, you should check out our website, storycore.org. For the podcast, I'm Nadia Raymond. Thanks for listening. Hey, everyone. It's Nadia Raymond. Just one more time reminding you to check out Alt Latino from NPR Music. You can find it at npr.org slash podcasts and on the NPR One app.